Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What a trip we've taken this season. We've been to China, Provence, Bordeaux, South Africa, Tasmania. Of course, it only makes sense that we finish up in Paris. For the final episode of this season of Wine School Dropout, we speak with friend and studio mate, Satanya Dakers of the Dinner for One podcast. Now, Satanya isn't a wine professional or in the industry at all. She's actually the type of consumer we created this show for. With episodes from season one, like Wine Language and Finding Your Wine Yoda, we wanted you, our listeners, to be able to gain practical knowledge from each episode that you could take with you and use right away. Sutanya is all about cooking and she makes amazing dishes in her kitchen, all with fresh ingredients from local butchers, fromageries, and green grocers. But how is she when she talks to the French Caviste? Well, take a listen. Well, hello, Sutanya Dakers. How are you? Hi, Tanisha Townsend. I'm doing very well. Thank you. I had to turn on my formal voice. This is a podcast <laughs> voice. I had to get the people ready. So, Sutanya is not a wine person, so to speak, as a lot of the other guests we've had this season. But Sutanya is a fellow woman, lives in Paris. She's a sister. And she also has a podcast on the network that I'm on, Studio Ochenta. And she's the host of Dinner for One. Tell us a little about Dinner for One. Dinner for One is a podcast about the healing power of food. What does that mean? It's pretty much like an audio exploration of what happens when the Paris fantasy ends and real life begins. So my Paris fantasy was I met a French man in New York City where I'm from, fell in love, got married, moved to Paris, but then the fantasy ended when we got divorced. So I um, I found myself cooking dinner for one again and trying to redefine my identity and how I was going to create a new life here in, in Paris. And um, yeah, from that experience, my podcast was born where I just like give the other side of what the expat experience can be because you can meet someone and, uh, you know, fall in love and move here and stay with them forever. And that's great. But there is also another narrative around that American and Paris story. And I just wanted to show that, that there's some Americans here, just like whether they came with someone or for someone or not, there's so many Americans here just kind of like doing their thing by themselves and trying to figure it out, you know? Dugging it out on our yeah. own, you yeah. know, working, yeah. dreaming, living, yeah. whatever. You mentioned the fantasy of yeah. Paris. What do you think... 
Where do you think this comes from? Do you think it's just movies, people talking? Where do you think this whole fantasy of Paris comes from? I think it's both, right? From a cultural aspect, you have movies. And then also not even just movies, but a lot of artists, a lot of writers, in particular for Black people, Black Americans. You know, we have our, our uh, Josephine Bakers, our James Baldwins, our Richard Wrights, our Nancy Holloways, all of these Black people that left the U.S. in mid-20th, is it mid was it's 50s, like mid-20th century? They left the, the U.S. at various points, and they found that it was easier for them to live as Black people in Paris. It's a story that's constantly told, and it's it's something that, it's a part of the, I think at least the Black American psyche, like if I move to France, if I move to Paris, there's a lot of things that I have to deal with as American society that I won't have to deal with here, which I think is um, is false, especially not living here. I think the thing about being American in Paris, Black American in Paris, is that you kind of experience secondary white privilege. So the fact that you're a Black American gives you a certain leeway within society. And especially, I don't, at least in my experience, I a lot of my friends here are, are white, whether French or otherwise. And because a lot of my circle is like that. I, I don't know. I just, I just tend to feel like there's a bit more welcome. There's a bit more leeway. There's a bit more acceptance. Whereas, if I'm by myself and I go into certain stores or go into certain restaurants, the energy and atmosphere is very different. But I wouldn't have known that if I wasn't living here. You know, if I had just gone by what I saw in movies, what people told me when they visited it for two weeks, I wouldn't have uh, seen that. But then the other part of the fantasy that's, how do I say this? The other side of Paris that people don't talk about that I think is actually a good thing that I've come to appreciate and love since being here and living here, it's the relationships you build with French people, or Parisians rather, because most of my French friends are Parisians. They're extremely loyal and it takes a while to get to know them. But once you do, like they never let you go. Even if you want to go, they're not letting you go. <laughs> um, and I really appreciate that. And that's something that you wouldn't know unless you've lived here. And, you know, because you're not going to make friends with the Parisian if you're here for two weeks, even six months, even a year. It really takes time. I was going to say even a year. I'm still yeah. working on that yeah. Parisian French friendship thing. Yeah. We're, we're getting there. It's been six years. So we. Yeah. it takes a while to develop it. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I feel like I went on a tangent. But yeah, the fa- I think that anyway. <laughs> Bring it back. The fantasy comes from, I think, movies. As Black Americans, our kind of like own special history with Paris or the stories that have been told from like, you know, Black American cultural icons. Um, and also, I mean, the city also perpetuates it, right? I mean, Paris is a huge brand and they have a huge marketing department around it. So they make sure that that story is is told. And there's some truth to it. It is a beautiful city. It's a, it's a gorgeous place to live. I mean, in my opinion, I feel like we're living in a in a museum essentially like every day I feel like I live in a museum yes it's absolutely gorgeous yeah there's certain things about the culture that I still find very charming like the cafe culture the boulangerie culture for me especially because my whole thing is food the culture you know the reverence that people have around food the conviviality of French people once you get into their circle so a lot of things that are that are great now, you mentioned uh, the cafe life, which we, uh, I barely remember that, but um, your love of food and your passion there. Your podcast is about you cooking for yourself. Where did you and when did you develop your passion for cooking? Um, I've always loved food. Um, and I think growing up in a Jamaican, um, see, I'm from the States, but I was born in Jamaica. My family's Jamaican. I moved to the States when I was four years old, to New York City when I was four years old. But my Jamaican culture is still very much a part of me. 
so I always I grew up like around food and my mom always cooked um, we rarely went out to eat like it was always home-cooked meals whenever it was a family party it was like one of the first things everyone decided was who's cooking what you make this better you make that better you do that you do that so I've always been surrounded by food and I never had to cook right and then when I was in college when I went to university when I went to college I found myself like eating easy mac and a lot of like Domino's cheesy bread is that was that what it is that what it's <laughs> That was, yes. and I was just like, um, long story short, I moved off campus. I got a townhouse with some friends. I started cooking, but I wasn't that good. And it wasn't until grad school, really, where I just, it was really simple, basic stuff um, that I was doing for myself and, and my roommates at the time. And then I went to Paris, my now ex-husband, he was, he was a better cook than me. So he did most of the cooking. And yeah, it wasn't really until I, yeah, I started when we broke up and I, I would cook once in a while, but it wasn't until we broke up and I started cooking for myself that it really become a passion and I got better with time. And, you know, I found that as my confidence grew in the kitchen, my confidence grew in my life as well, because for me, um, being able to cook myself a meal symbolized the fact that I could take care of myself and I could be okay and I would be okay here on my own. So yeah, the, the more like ease and elegance with which I moved around the, the kitchen and, you know, kind of was able to just like think of things to make or just kind of see what's in my cupboard or in my fridge and like, okay, you know, I don't want to go to the supermarket or the market and buy new stuff when I have this stuff, like what can I make from it? The fact that I could improvise in the kitchen, yeah, just gave me courage and belief that I could, I could be better. It's interesting that you put it that way, that it gave you confidence and courage I've never thought of that as far as tying that into cooking and how you feel in the kitchen. Um, well, it's one of those things where like, it's, you know, I think that food, you know, when you invite someone for dinner, for lunch, whatever, when you cook for someone, it's one of the purest forms of showing that you care and showing love or, or welcoming someone into you in an intimate way, right? Because you're 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 giving them something or you're sharing something that nourishes them, that actually that gives them what they need to just like survive. It's a basic human need, right? Like you cannot survive. I can survive without Zara. I can't survive without food. You know what I mean? So it's a very basic. Okay. Okay. So Barely, but yes, yes, we could survive. A very okay. basic need. And everyone, and you know, people, me included, before when I was with my ex-husband, like the only time I'd really cook or like research a recipe or whatever it was when we were having people over and like it was a big to do and like I got to do that I got to do that and I you know when we broke up I was just kind of like why don't I extend that same kind of like love to myself and care to myself you know I gotta love myself first before anybody else and uh yeah I did it I was able to do it through, through giving myself that basic need It's so interesting how I feel like a lot of people think of food and then relate it to more of an emotion. Whereas with wine, I don't necessarily know if people describe it as an emotion often. Like, I don't think if someone's like, oh, well, how does this wine make you feel? Or do you feel confident and strong? And and I'm like, I mean, maybe if I drink a lot of it, I feel more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I might not maybe I shouldn't say this on record but um, um, maybe I think maybe because with cooking like you do it yeah you actually do wine, I don't make one I mean right. I would if I if I you know who knows you know like maybe my life will lead me to someday making wine I doubt it but like you know and anyone 
can cook. I'm sorry. I, I think anyone can cook. Not everyone can be a chef. Yeah. Not okay. everyone, not anyone could, would feel comfortable making a Thanksgiving dinner, but with enough practice and enough trying, you can make yourself a roasted chicken. It's easy. You can make yourself mashed potatoes. You can make yourself fried rice, you know? Um, and it doesn't take that long. Whereas wine, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a real science behind it. And no, I mean, because you can't just, I don't know much about wine, but I believe that you can't just be like an amateur winemaker. Like you really have to, you can't just go in like- your I mean, you can be an amateur winemaker. Your, wine, you know? will be, your wine will be trash probably. Yeah, no one's going to drink it. Whereas you <laughs> yeah. can be an amateur home cook yeah. and, you know, be able to make your own pesto and your friends come over for lunch. You're like, oh my God, this is so good. And you feel so proud. You know what I mean? So I think, yeah. I think the level of expertise needed to do both is what for makes sure. people- have this more of an emotional attachment to cooking versus wine. Speaking of wine, and since you do live in Paris, yeah. did you have kind of a love or any kind of feeling toward wine before, or did that come once you came to France? Oh my God, I was a typical American that knew jack shit about wine before I moved here. I was, and not, only, not even wine, just champagne. I was drinking Andre champagne. I thought it was so cool, me and my girlfriends. I used to drink, um, what is it called? Yellowtail. Oh my God, me and my girls would get a yellowtail on a Friday when I was like 21, 22, and you could tell us nothing. I knew absolutely jack shit about wine, and I will never forget. It wasn't my first trip here. It was my first solo trip here to see my nice husband. And we went to this bistro. He took me to this bistro, like in on the left bank. It was very like. I was in, I thought I was in a movie, right? Like it was like a very like quintessential Parisian, like zigzag cobblestone, tiny oh. little bistro, like tiled floors, like waiters in black and white, like I was like round, small round tables. I was like, where am I? And he ordered, I want to say it was a Cote de Rome. And it was like, I'd never tasted a spicy, smooth red wine before. And then we had steak frites. And then like with the steak, I, I mean, I could have died right then and there. And then it was, so it was like really in that moment. Um, and then visiting, you know, while we were dating, visiting, the more I came to Paris and started drinking more, I became just kind of a bit more aware, but it wasn't until moving here and then becoming friends with people in the industry, um, in the food industry, um, where I really began to get a, better understanding of what I like and um, the type of wines that I like, the regions I like, the the being able to talk about whether, you know, if a wine is like structured or like mineral or like, you know what I mean? More than yes. being like, I like white. <laughs> right. Is that like a cold one? Yeah, I like it real cold. And it's also so impressive when you're with around friend people because they all know like the basics of wine. Like obviously there's a certain level of expertise, but your average friend person can go into a wine shop and be like, okay, I really like white wines from, uh, I don't know, La Loire, I don't know, La Loire um, that are like vif et pas trop mais un peu, un peu côté floral quand même. <laughs> <laughs> Average, you know, right? And you're just like, um, I had a riesling with dinner you know, last night, and I yeah. kind of want another one. Yeah, exactly. So, and had like a little zing at the end, yeah. but 
also just no. not being afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. Like I think also a lot of Americans, I, you know, generalizing, but I feel like a lot of Americans probably come to Paris and you walk into a cheese shop, you're so overwhelmed. You walk into a wine shop, you're so, you're so overwhelmed. You're also a bit like embarrassed because yeah. so many other, so many French people are in there with authority asking for what they want. But like, you have to remember they grew up like this. We didn't grow up, like, well, most Americans I know at least, didn't grow up like having a fromagerie <laughs> down the right. street from them. No, they right? Um, so they they already have a basic knowledge that we don't. And you know, if you're in a place where someone speaks English, I mean, take advantage of their knowledge and get a better understanding of like what you want to eat. You know, make sure that like you get a lot of pleasure from what you buy and you know what you're consuming. Yeah, confidence. I think in wine, uh, you mentioned confidence in the kitchen. I think with wine, it comes into being able to go into a caviste and ask for what you want mm-hmm. and get it. To be able to describe a wine, a region, a grape, something that you want, and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, maybe you'll like this one or try this." That's when you're like, "Yes, I'm confident. I can do yeah. it." Because and- that is so intimidating. Not knowing the words, like how you just went through that. Um, you know <laughs> what you say when you go in. People are like, um. I don't know those words yeah. uh, in English. So I yeah. definitely don't know them in French. Yeah. How do I do this? And so that's why we have wine school dropout just for a little bit. That's why you have wine school dropout. And also, yes. I mean, for the people that live here, you know, if you're in Paris for a week or two, like it's going to be hard. But if you're here for any period of time, whether it's a month and beyond, I think it's also good to just get to know your caviste. And mm-hmm. because I think a part of, the pleasure in Paris around like the type of food you eat, the kind of wine you drink is is um, getting to know the people that are selling that to you because you number one, it forms a sense of community, which is important here. And number two, they know what you like, they learn what you like. So you might go in one day for your normal like Cote de Rome that you get and your cavies, she or she might be like, actually, Tanisha, I know you love this Cote de Rome. You come in every Friday at 4.30 I know what you're getting, but I just got this burgundy and I love it. And it's similar to the Cote d'Or in this way, so you should try it. And either they make you try it right there or they persuade you to buy the bottle and you buy it and you love it. And if you, either you love it or you don't. And if you don't love it, you can say, you know what? I actually didn't like it. That's what you gave me. It was nice, but it wasn't my thing. I prefer my Cote d'Or. And they're not going to be offended. They're just going to keep that in mind for the next time you know, you go. Uh, Absolutely. I've discovered so many delicious wines, actually, that way by going to the cabbies across um, the street from me. I feel like I'm banned from there now because of that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I feel like that's so important, what you just said about knowing and developing a relationship with the cabbies. Because here, because of exactly what you said, they will get to know your taste. Mm-hmm. They'll know what you drink, what you come in and buy. Mm-hmm. Um, they can let you know when they have something that is similar to mm-hmm. it, something else you might like. And just that sense of community thing is so important. They're like, oh, well, you know, we're having a tasting or we're having a private sale. They let you know about all these different things. Mm-hmm. I have a few cavistes in different neighborhoods mm-hmm. that I enjoy. I'm looking for one in my immediate neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so much, I won't say easier, but you can develop a community at a caviste instead of going to the supermarket. You're not developing a community there. Or even if you go to some of the chain shops, mm-hmm. they're fine if you know exactly what you want. You yeah. want to pop in and get something quick mm-hmm. for um, a party or something like yeah. that. But your, you know, everyday kind of thing, mm-hmm. I'm really big on caviste and wine shops for sure. Yeah. Caviste, and I love going to the butcher and I love, 
you know, going to the fromagerie and yes, it, if you go on a Saturday, it takes a bit more time because you have to go from each shop. But it's also part of the experience, I think, of, you know, you get the freshest ingredients and yeah, you build that community. And now I go to the fromagerie and they're like, mind you, I've been here almost eight years now. I'm still like La Petite American. I know you can't be here in Paris right now, but how about a virtual French wine tasting? Take a one hour tour de France with Girl Meets Glass and hear about current life in Paris as we talk about the famed wine regions of France and taste a few wines together. For purchase, visit the website www.girlmeetsglass.com and select Work with Girl Meets Glass. a go-to wine like something that you always order that you're tried and true or something that you keep in the house all the time a go-to wine well in red that would be a Cote Rhone for sure and in white the Pique Saint Lou oh okay no no right that's a bit basic but I feel like I like Pique Saint Lou and I also really love a good song sale Okay. Love, love. See, you, you lost me on that one. I'm so by me. I don't like Sauvignon Blanc. Wow. And people are like, you don't. I'm like, no, and my palate is fine. There are 7 trillion other wines. It's fine. Why don't you okay. like, why don't you like? Uh, I don't know. Just the herbalness, the citrusy notes fair. of it. Mm, I like um, things that are acidic and, you know, have minerality, but that fair. just, that citrus just. Fair. Uh, I also do like a good Chablis. Which I like the buttery kind of like just like thickness of it. I really like that. I definitely drink more white wines than reds. I can't drink reds anymore. I used to be a, only a red wine drinker, but I, I don't know something about with age. I guess I just I, I drink two glasses and I'm like falling asleep. Red wine does make anymore. you sleep. Yeah, I just can't, I can't drink it the way I used to like a couple of years ago. And then in rosés. I don't really have a favorite. I mean, I guess, do, are there tons of variations of rosés? Tons I just of variations of rosés. Yeah, I just, just how yeah. I feel, what color I, I want. Light pink, yeah, dark I pink, just, salmon pink. I just go with what my, my French friends say that, like, the lighter the pink, the better the quality. And the less, like, you know, kind of, like, hungover you'll be if you just are a bit excessive with it. Um, so I just go for, like, the lightest, clearest pink possible. Um, okay. But with white wines, yeah, I don't know, I... I tend to like white wines that are all like you like minerally a bit tart. I love a tart wine. Yeah, but there's also but what I would have in my fridge typically would yeah either be a Pixon or a, a Chablis because I just feel like those are I feel like for the most part people like them and they're everybody easy. can drink that. Yeah, and they're easy to serve with things. So if a friend pops over and we're having a pillow or like smoked salmon or anything I put on the table, he or she will be able to will probably enjoy it. So. I'm glad you said that. That leads me to my next question. You have guests coming over in 30 minutes. What are you cooking and what are you drinking? Oh, okay. Well, first I gotta serve, I gotta serve myself, right? <laughs> so I'm gonna make myself a little cocktail. Okay. <laughs> I'm preparing. Uh, my my cocktail du moment is Saint-Germain spritz. So I'll probably make myself a little Saint-Germain spritz while I'm preparing in the kitchen. The second thing I would take care of is probably just like mettre l'ambiance, as the French say. So like just set up my wherever we're, I'm going to put the snacks and 
Uh, 30 minutes, okay, so I've done a cocktail, met ambiance, that's 10 minutes, okay, I have 20 minutes left. I will, apéro, I will probably have, do ton piquant, which is like spicy tuna that's sold at Monoprix, that's absolutely, like everyone loves it. You had it last time, right, Azure, it's mm-hmm. terrible. Um, ton piquant, hummus, maybe I would do some tzatziki sort of thing, because that's quite easy, you can do it yourself, and then just cut up some vegetables. If I don't have, if I have bread here, great. If not, don't be, put that out. And then, so that's now I have 10 minutes left for dinner. I'd probably do some kind of pasta. So I just, yeah, if I need to chop some garlic or whatever, I will, you know, prep as much as I can, chop the garlic, chop the onions, chop, you know, the chili peppers. And then when my friends are here, you know, I'm here with them for apéro, whatever, serving them a chablis or or whatever wine I have in the fridge. And while everyone's kind of just like talking and chilling, I'll probably like disappear into the kitchen to put together the pasta. I love it. So 30 minutes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This was fun. Tanisha's going to be here in 30 minutes. <laughs> okay. So last question. What food and wine, so give me two, best describes you and or your personality? Oh, wine, I don't know. Honestly, I think, you know, you've known me for a little bit now. I think I'm gonna throw that one back on you. Uh, Yeah, cause I don't know. But food, I would say I'm like a roasted chicken. Okay. I am familiar and comforting while staying juicy and surprising okay you never know (laughs) you never know you'll never be i say comforting because you'll never be like the surprise not be bad right Mm -hmm. and familiar because i'm very much an authentic person the older i get the more i live my true self with everyone no matter who is in front of me right but surprising because I'm still a human being. So I learn, I change, I grow, but the foundation stays the same. And it's like roasted chicken. The foundation is the same. If you have a good chicken, you put salt, pepper, olive oil, but you can make it surprising add your twist with the different seasonings. You put maybe it's more paprika, maybe it's more curry. Maybe you want more like herbal, so you put more rosemary and more of that, but it still remains familiar and comforting and juicy. Which leads me into the wine that I'll use to describe you. Yeah. Um, uh, the juicy part, it doesn't go with the chicken though. Uh, what I thought of you <laughs> is Northern Rome, uh, a red wine, Syrah. So from Crow's Hermitage. Okay. And I thought of that because okay. it's a uh, juicy in flavor. You get ripe fruit from there and, uh, um, it is comforting. It warms you up on the inside. You can also get like a little smoky tobacco note. And then that makes me think of your voice is so comforting and it, you think lounge and smoking and, you know, you're talking to the microphone and that kind of thing. <laughs> but then also on the finish, you get spice and you're spicy. I don't think every people don't know that about you, but it's a little, it's a little, you know, spicy two piece in there. So yeah, we, <laughs> So I would say for you, oh yeah, Crow's Hermitage. Okay, I'm going to write that down. That's who you are. Next time I go um, to Lambert, my caviste, see Guillaume, I'm going to ask him for that. Ask him for that. Have your mind blown. Hermitage, Hermitage. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you very much for sitting with me and uh, talking and all of this stuff. Please tell us where we can find you. 
Um, you can find me many places on the internet. Just like, you know, Google me. It's 2021. So of course I can find me on Google. And booping and bopping around the 18th. I just launched season four with Studio Chenda. Um, and that first episode of season four is available. Um, and I have a couple interviews coming up with other people that yeah, I think will be fun. I have some French perspectives, like black French perspectives, which should be oh, nice. Be good. And then also like really cool, like an English friend of mine is on it. And then I have an American, I mean, a Ghanaian woman that lives in New York. That's really cool. And also my best friend from home. But yeah, find Sitania on Instagram, her yeah. website, yeah. Uh, listen to her podcast, please support her um, and then things she's doing. She's fantastic. And I enjoyed our conversation and I know you all, the listeners will too, and you will enjoy her content and learn something. Thank you so much for having me, Tanisha. Was a Thank you. I know you enjoyed hearing from Satanya, so please follow her on Twitter or Instagram. That's dinner for period one, spell out the one, or dinnerforonepodcast.com. There you have it, everyone. Another great conversation to finish out the season here for Wine School Dropout. Thank you for supporting this season. You can find more information on me, Girl Meets Glass, my virtual wine tastings, my wine guide to Paris, for when you can return, we're waiting for you, on my website, www.girlmeetsglass.com. And of course, follow us on all forms of social media at Girl Meets Glass and Wine School Dropout. Continue supporting the businesses and entrepreneurs we featured this season by following them on social media and checking out their work as well. To listen to this season again and again in its entirety, it's available on ochintapodcast.com slash wine school dropout. If you like the show, tell a friend and tell that friend to tell a friend. Until next time, sit back, relax, and have a glass. This podcast was produced by Studio Ochenta, hosted by me, Tanisha Townsend. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Our sound editor is Luis Raul Lopez Levi. Our theme was done by Gabriel Dalmaso. Music is by Makai Beats. Our art is by Tiffany DeLoon. Follow us at Wine School Dropout on Instagram and check out ochintastudio.com for full transcripts of this and every episode of the show. See you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.